Welcome to the Chalkboard, my fellow football nerds, for episode number 80 of Chalk Talk, brought to you by the Painted Lines. I'm your host, Shane Half, and you can follow me on Twitter at halfandhalf underscore TPL. I'm joined today by the best co-host in the game. Bonus points because you can see him today. It is Mark Henry Jr. Give him a follow on Twitter at MarkHenryJr. Underscore. Mark, the camera working aside, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. The last time that people saw me, I was probably about, uh, you know, I had about five pounds more of, uh, of beard on my face. I was looking like Shane over there. Um, I had a pretty big beard. We're getting back there. It's only been a couple days. Uh, uh, and, you know, I've probably put on about, you know, 15 pounds of football eating weight in the past uh, however many times uh, since I've been on the pod. So, you know, I'm happy that people can finally uh, – see both of our faces at the same time it's so i mean two weeks ago i thought you could see me the whole time and i thought the people could see me the whole time but apparently that wasn't the case (laughs) yeah yeah we figured out when we went to cut up the clips that you just weren't there so so the 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 beard thing was that like a i'm not shaving till the eagles lose is that what's going on here no that was a i'm not shaving until the phillies uh are, are out of the playoffs and then they lost the World Series, so I went and shaved a couple days late, later. Yeah, not uh, not this is an in between phase. We need to we need to fast forward two weeks so, so I can get back to having no beard, but not have it be, uh, you know, so lumberjacky. Yeah, the the very the first part of growing out the beard's annoying when it's prickly oh. and itchy. Then you get past that and it's all smooth sailing from there. The worst, the worst. By the so, way, I'll just say. Uh, shout out to Jason Kelsey. I was just watching his podcast earlier, which I watched the Jalen Hurts interview last week, and it turned me in. Like I've now, I've like went back and like skipped through all these other J- uh, Jason Kelsey, Travis Kelsey podcasts. Just a phenomenal beard. One, I mean, a top five beard of all time on Jason Kelsey. I'd have to say. <laughs> yeah, so I, I listened to the Jalen Hurts episode, and I subscribed to it. I'm going to start listening. I did not go back and catch all the old ones, but. Uh, the Kelsey brothers are pretty entertaining podcasters. That's for sure. Yeah, Travis came across way better than I thought he would. Like, I think we all know Jason. We all kind of figured he'd probably be really good at this. Um, but, but Travis, man, he he he's pretty good. Like, I, I kind of never thought he'd be you know the most likable guy uh, to put it lightly. But yeah, he's he's great on the pod. I thought it was hilarious when he was talking about Geno Smith stealing his job twice. Uh, for those of you that haven't listened to the podcast, you should go check it out. New Heights podcast. It's really good. But he talked about um, going to a passing camp when he was a high school quarterback and Geno Smith basically like outshined him. And so he ends up changing positions. So Geno Smith took his job once and then he was convinced he was going to get drafted by Rex Ryan and the Jets. And then they took Geno Smith instead. So he said he's always had a little bit of a friendly grudge against Geno Smith because Geno stole his job twice. It's funny now that you now that you mentioned that you listened to that podcast um, after we recap the Eagles game, and this is inside baseball for the people listening to Chalk Talk um, uh, of segment planning. I think we should go through and talk about that podcast because I think Jalen said a lot of interesting stuff about the, the draft and some of that. So I, I think we should get to that. That's a little tease for the people at the, at the top of the episode. All right. Well, let's get into it. So our episode title tonight is The Circle of Parody is Complete. In case you don't know what this is, I might be the only person that nerds out about this. But every year, I'm always fascinated by the circle of parody in the NFL, which is just 
a line you can draw from any one team in the NFL to any other team in the NFL and show through common opponents why you're better than any other team. And so the unfortunate part of the Eagles losing last night to the Commanders is that every team has a loss, and now the circle of parity is complete. So I tweeted this out earlier. Uh, If you want to go trace it out, whatever team you follow, you can pick any team on here and you can prove that you're better than them. So uh, time is a flat circle. The NFL, nobody's good. It, it, everybody can beat everybody else, apparently. So you can go check that out. I always think that's fascinating. Uh, nobody else probably does. But there we go. There, There's our, our first little random aside for tonight. So let's get into the Eagles' Monday night football game against the Washington Commanders. They lose the game 21-32 to in a game that was closer than that. Obviously, you get the hook and lateral touchdown uh, on the last play of the game to make it a two-score game. Mark, I talked about this game on post-game. I just got done talking about it on Birds of the Roundtable. And usually, by the time I get to this show, I've watched all 22. And I have new things to say. I don't really have new things to say because all 22 is not out yet with it being a Monday night game. So uh, I'm going to throw it to you first here. Uh, you and I have dialogued a little bit off air. This probably has a different clientele than my post-game show did, but uh, if you listen to me both places, you might hear me say a lot of the same things. So I'm going to kick it to you, Mark, and I'm going to let you lead us off. What, what, what were your main takeaways with the Eagles-Commanders game? Yeah, I mean, this is just one of those games where you're snake-bitten, uh, it felt like. And obviously, there's a lot of matchup stuff, and there's a lot of coaching decisions, and there's a lot of comments we can make about everything from Jalen Hurts to the defense to the running game to the play calling, and we're going to get into all that. But, man, it just felt like it was Murphy's Law. It was everything that could go wrong would. Like, it was just, you know, you get that play to Quez, and it's a fumble. You That Dallas Goddard fumble, that's also a face mask that they missed, that also injures, um, you know, one of our best players, which is probably worse news than anything else in the entire game. Um, there's just so many gut punches and gut punching moments from this game. And then, you know, that's outside the fact where uh, I'm just going to get this out of the way off the top so we can just keep it strictly football the rest of the way. And I can, uh, you know, not sound like a Homer, but I I will just say that was one of the, I I think most poorly officiated games of this season. It's actually funny. um, Last weekend, um, I don't know what, I think it was during one of the primetime games. I was watching with people and I actually made a comment where I was like, you know what? It feels like NFL officiating. They've done a, a, a lot of, a lot better of a job this year. It really felt like there's been less controversial moments. There's been less obvious missed calls. There's, you know, there's obviously things here and there that you make, you know, you make note of, but there were way less times in general, just preparing for this podcast where I feel like we have to talk about a big call in a game or I feel like we have to talk about the refs swinging a game one way or the other. Whereas in years past, I feel like that almost happened on a weekly basis where we, we had to kind of talk about a bad call here or there. And in this game, it felt like there was three of them that, that, that you could really make a case or of that caliber. And, and, you know, this is not to take away um, anything from the, you know, some of the, the negatives that the Eagles had from that game. And I'm not saying that they played well. But what I am saying is I think if the game was correctly officiated in terms of you get rid of the Chauncey Gardner-Johnson hit on the sideline being a late hit, you get rid of that fumble, which should have been negated by a, a face mask penalty, 
And then you, at the very least, give the Eagles a chance at the end of the game with a minute and 40 seconds left. If you don't call, you know, Heineke's flop job, uh, an unnecessary roughness on Brandon Graham. Um, it just feels like if you at least, you know, call two of those three correctly, the Eagles probably still win this game. That's not to say that you walk out of it feeling great or you walk out of it saying they should have won no matter what. But it is to say that, you know, I, I do think that the refs kind of cost them the game. And obviously the fumble, most of all, I, I think is what cost them the game. Uh, and But I, I'll, I'll kind of steal your words out of your mouth that I know are going to come back at me here because we talked off air. Um, the margin, you have to make the margins bigger than that. That's exactly what you're going to say. And you're correct. You have to outplay the commanders by more than you did. And if, if you did. But even having said that, you'd like to have the chance to have to make the plays to do that instead of the ball being taken out of your hands, it feels like, twice by the refs. Yeah, the officiating was poor in this game. Um, I did think the Eagles caught a break on that OPI call. Uh, I wouldn't have flagged that. I thought that was just a pretty basic, fairly well-executed rubber out. The Dallas Goddard face mask, that's the most egregious missed call to me. I mean, I don't know how you missed that one. Uh, the Chauncey Gardner-Johnson late hit that wasn't a late hit, that one sucks. It was already a first down. It's not like it cost you a possession like the face mask. It didn't cost you a first down on third down. It was just yards. That wasn't as – I mean, it's a bad call. That one didn't hurt as bad. They, they did kick a, like a 55-yard field goal on that drive though, right? No, so, no, that was that – was, I think that one was the one where like two plays later they threw the interception because I remember oh, okay, and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson was the one that got it because I remember tweeting that clip and saying the ball don't lie. Yeah, which, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. That line almost got me ejected from a high school basketball game when I was a coach a couple years ago. Um, I might have <laughs> muttered that too loud and an official heard it, but that's a story for a different time. I can safely say it on Twitter during Eagles games. Um, and and the, the one at the end, I that one just sucks all the way around. I, I've never seen a quarterback do that. I've never even thought about a quarterback doing that. And so you put yourself in Brandon Graham's shoes. The whistle oh. hasn't blown. He said after the game he's trying to touch him down. He didn't light him up. He's sliding in to touch oh. him. And, and it's a combination of a lot of bad things. A bizarre scenario that Brandon Graham's never been in or even thought about before. Uh, the whistle comes in a little late. I mean, the, as the whistle comes in, Graham's already sliding, so it's not like he slid in to touch him down after the whistle. Uh, so a little bit of a late whistle, an unprecedented deal, a great flop by Heineke. I mean, I think I, I don't fault the officials for throwing a flag on that one. It sucks. It, it's a sucky situation. Um, but, you know, the, I guess those are the breaks. you, you got to make the margins bigger, and, you know, you would love for the Eagles not to go three and out. They had the ball in their hands with two minutes left and, and get a quick three and out to force you into that situation. So just a, a comedy of errors, uh, just all game long. And then I, I think the, the natural place to go next is the defense. Cause I think that's the most concerning aspect of this game. I think ultimately uh, on offense, you had one deep ball taken out of AJ Brown's hands, literally into an interception. Um, basically Was that a bad decision to throw that ball. Um, I, I don't, you know, I, I saw some of the discourse on Twitter I'm not going to get upset with that because it literally was in AJ Brown's hands. Like, I, I think it was probably a good throw. I think it was a 50-50 ball. Um, is it smart to throw 50-50 balls? 
that's that might be a question for another day. That might be a question for like an all season pod, honestly. But uh, it's you know when you have AJ Brown, you want to take those chances. But then you also kind of say when you have AJ Brown, Devonta Smith, and Dallas Goddard, someone should be open enough to eliminate the need to take 50-50 ball chances. So. You know, I can see both sides of the argument. I think that's more of like a like a strategy argument in that situation. I didn't have a problem going deep in that situation and taking a chance. It just didn't work out. Then you obviously have the deep ball to Quez, which is a perfect pass, a perfect catch, a perfect everything. You just wish the defender was a little cl- closer to Quez and would have touched him down before he got up and started running again. Um, those two things, man. It's just, I mean, that's that's terrible luck right there. Um, I, the offense doesn't concern me at all, to be quite honest. Um, but the defense, I know everyone's going to talk about Jordan Davis. And I actually don't know. I, I'm not looking at the stat sheet right in front of me. W- what did the yards per carry end up being for Washington in this game? They averaged 3.1 yards per carry. Yeah. And their long was 11. So, you know, people, people talked a lot about the run defense. And there was a lot of a lot of fire Gannon, Gannon's atrocious, all that stuff on Twitter. And I just don't agree with that. Um, the run defense was fine. Washington averaged 3.1 yards per carry. It was good. They were it, the best run defense in the NFL on the season is 3.5. So like the problem was there were no negative plays. Their long was 11. They didn't have some 40 yard run, you know, and then a bunch of tackles behind the line. It was just consistently, two or three yards there weren't negative plays there weren't big plays which is still fine you're trying to get them into third and shorts third and mediums where they've been atrocious this year they've been 27th in the league in third downs at converting at like 34 percent at the end of the game it doesn't look awful they converted 12 at 21 but at one point they were 11 of 14 and mm-hmm. specifically in the first half they converted five of six third downs that they attempted passes on the lone exception being the very first drive of the game um, I, I think, I think a lot of that, you, I think Darius Slay got in his head, and I think it started early that first drive. There were two specific times that I saw a ball to the sideline, and I felt like Darius Slay expected Josiah Scott to carry that route more vertically than he did. And that's a small thing, but cornerbacks, they play off of confidence and they play off a of swagger. And when you start thinking and stop reacting, not fully trusting the guy because he's not the guy that you've been passing routes off with the whole season. It's a new guy now. I think Darius Slay got in his head a little bit, and I think you saw that down the stretch. I think he probably had one of his worst games as an Eagle. It might not be worse than the Metcalf game. It might be. I don't know. Um, But I think that compounded, and I saw people complaining about, you know, soft coverage, but the reality is the way that the defense is structured now to account for the run. It means your linebackers have to play into gaps faster. Your safeties have to flow downhill faster. And so that means if you put Darius Slay in press coverage on a fast guy like Terry McLaurin, will he win 80, 85% of those reps? Maybe, probably. But those two or three that he doesn't, those are touchdowns if the ball's put on target. And so do you take that chance against a bad offense? I wouldn't, and Gannon didn't but the defense was just unable to get off the field and it compounds throughout the game as time of possession mounts. Um, I, I really felt like schematically the defense was fine. I felt like the execution was really poor. Yeah. 
you know me, I kind of have a tough time with Gannon's scheme and I understand the logic behind it. And for me, this has nothing to do with run defense. I actually think the run defense was good in this game. I mean, to, to everyone complaining about it, uh, 3.1 yards per carry, there's there's nothing to complain about there. Um, you made a great point there by saying the number one run defense allows 3.5 yards per carry. Um, it's all about pass defense for me. And this kind of – I've never been the hugest proponent of let's talk about Darius Slay like he's a top five corner in football even over the last two years where he's – probably played like it and put himself in that conversation. And I know a lot of people have wanted to put him in all pro talk and things like that. And I think the scheme protects him a lot, obviously when like for the reasons you said, you back him off press and you you just limit big plays and you keep everything in front of you. That's going to make corners look even better than they are. And I think it's helped Bradbury a lot as well. And now Bradbury is going to cash in on that and get big money next year, probably in part because of how, easy it is i think for a good cornerback to look great in our scheme um having said that sometimes i think you have to throw a different look when something's clearly not working and i think at halftime of this game there should have been adjustments made at at some point um to avoid some of the easiest you know pitch and catch 20 yard throws where it just felt like guys would just run and they'd sit in the zone They'd find this little zone. on and McLaurin does that incredibly. He always has, where he just finds this little spot in the field, and he, he stops. He just sits there because he knows how much time he has, and as long as the quarterback sees him, he's going to hit him. Um, and it felt like that happened a couple times with us in this game with not just McLaurin, but um, at, at a certain point, and you mentioned the one play I wanted to talk about where Slay looked just confused. Like he was standing there, and McLaurin cut in on a slant, and uh, he, he was kind of like, wait. I, I thought that was Scott. So, yeah, there was a lot of miscommunication, it seems like, and I think that's part of it, and that can get cleaned up. But I would like to see Gannon be a bit more reactive at times. I don't have any huge issues with, you know, anything schematically. It, it's more so just, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, I think it was a little bit broke in this specific game. Uh, I, I think y- you have to at least try to make a change it's at a certain point. I think on that one play, I don't know for sure. I think, I think Slay thought it was a quarters coverage call, and the route broke, so it's not his responsibility. And I think, I think that Scott thought it was a man coverage call, which would mean that Slay's guy. I don't know that for a fact, but that's my speculation. Um, and just on execution too, you know, we talk about we talk about the run the run defense. Brian Robinson had 86 rushing yards in this game. Do you want to guess how many of those were after contact? Yeah, yeah, probably 40, 50. 86. He had, <laughs> oh 86, he had 86 yards after contact, and he had 86 total rushing yards. Now, I mean, obviously, you know, you can get contacted three yards behind the line on one play. That doesn't mean he was literally contacted at the line of scrimmage every play, but tackling's a big issue, and it has been for this team. I thought one adjustment they made at half, it, they started to shift Javon Hargrave into that nose position because let me tell you, Marlon Tui Pelotu should never step foot on an NFL football field again. He's a horrendous player in every aspect. Um, he's awful. I don't know why they put him at the nose after it was so bad against the Texans, but they did it again. It was awful. Um, and, you know, we could talk about Fletcher Cox being totally washed because he is. Uh, but they shifted Javon Hargrave into that nose spot, and they started to do more four down fronts, which I think they need to do uh, in this interim. It, it 
it allows you to play your coverages a little differently. I think there's some adjustments schematically that you make now. You're two weeks into no Jordan Davis. The answers you've tried haven't worked great. I think this is where you just start to get back into more of a traditional 4-3 and you change the structure of your defense until Davis comes back. But but execution was just really poor from the defense in this game. And, and you compound that with the offenses just you – know, let's be honest, it, it was a lot of bad luck. Uh, they get the first drive, obviously. They score a quick touchdown. Second drive, they go score a touchdown. We're cruising, right? Third drive, you get the interception. I didn't like that throw. Uh, I get to say that I don't like that throw because I also said I didn't like the throw when he did the same thing against the Steelers and it was a touchdown. I just don't want to put that ball into double coverage. I think you got too many weapons. Uh, and you're not that desperate. You were moving the ball good. But it's fine. He's going to make that throw, and I'm okay with it. It's not what I would coach him to do. It's whatever. It was a bad break. And, you know, the ball hits – Brown in the hands is a perfect throw. I mean, it did go right through the corner's hands to get to Brown's hands, too. So uh, if the corner makes a better play, it maybe never even gets there to begin with. But I wouldn't make that throw. Then you get the two-minute situation where they go three and out. And, you know, I, I thought Hurts should have hit Kenny Gainwell on the check down, on third down to move the sticks there. He tries to take it to A.J. Brown. I can't tell you for sure that that was the wrong decision because all 22 is not out. And I can't see on what we saw on broadcast, Brown looks covered. This is going to be a contested catch situation. That may be because he slipped and fell down. He might've been open if that hadn't happened. I don't know. But what I do know is that that's a first down. If you dump the ball off to Kenny Gainwell and you move the sticks and keep that two minute drill thing alive. And so uh, I thought that was a mistake from Hertz. And then, you know, you can say what you want about the interception it's worked before. I'm not going to say it's a mistake. It's just not what I would have done. Maybe I'm a little too risk averse. But then the other mistake I thought Hurts made was at the end of the game, that third down where he hits the top of his drop, he drops his eyes and immediately tries to run, and he takes a six-yard six sack. Outside of those two plays, Hurts played a really good football game. I mean, we shouldn't even be talking about a loss. That ball that he put on Quez Watkins was just incredible. Mm -hmm. They take the holding and go to first and 20, and I'm thinking in my head, don't panic just because it felt like a game. It felt like a situation where you're going to press. Like, don't panic. Get seven yards. Get to second and 12, 13, whatever. Just allow yourself to work into a four-down situation. And he hits the top of his drop and just rips a deep ball, and I was thinking, oh, don't do that. And then it's just on the money to Quez Watkins splitting the safeties, and that should have been the ball game. Quez should have caught that and housed it, and he trips and falls down, and then he fumbles. And I'm not worried about the offense. I thought the offense played really good. There's mistakes that happen in every game. It felt like in this game, every mistake was in the highest possible leverage situation. Ball off of Brown's hand is intercepted. Hertz drops his eyes, which he hasn't done much this year, and it's a sack that kills a drive. Uh, you've got a Dallas Goddard fumble that was a joke of a missed face mask call. You've got a Quez Watkins fumble. Like, it was just – it was a litany of errors. Anytime you double your turnover output for the season in one game, you're probably not going to win that game. The Eagles had a shot still to win that game. And so it's hard for me to feel too bad about it in a game where you allowed historic third-down conversions. You got doubled up on time of possession. You doubled your turnovers. You still had the ball with two minutes left and a shot to go drive and win the game. So to me, 
you flush that win and you move on. I got off of a post game last night and I was ready to move on. I, I, this isn't a loss I was going to wake up this morning. It, it was frustrated to watch. It's not a loss that's going to make me worried long term because I just thought every possible thing that could go wrong did. And sometimes that happens. Yeah, I'm, I'm in total agreement. It's not a game I'm, wor- I'm worrying about long term or worrying about, you know, things repeating themselves. Um, I will say I think A.J. Brown laid an egg last night, kind of. Like, I thought he just didn't look very good, didn't get very open, even on the times he didn't get targeted. Um, I thought that there was a couple balls, you know, that were broken up to him that were contested catches, and I didn't really feel like he fought that hard, um, especially on the one slant where the guy kind of just stuck a, stuck a hand in there. Um, and then, obviously, he falls down. That's probably not, you know, that's not someone's fault. You know, he, he yeah. tripped there. Um, I just and I do know that, that first catch he had, which I guess it was the lone catch he had of the night, uh, he tweaked his ankle coming out of his break on that. Mm-hmm. And so you wonder how much that impacted him. You know, when he falls down on that third down that Hurts tried to throw to him, that, I mean, it doesn't have to be somebody's fault. You can just slip. That could have been the ankle, the, the not fighting through contact. All of that could come back to that ankle trying to play through an injury. So, yeah, it, it was a bad game for A.J. Brown. His worst is an eagle. Um, I, I don't know what role injuries played in it. He would tell you that they didn't, but I don't think that's the truth. I think there was. I think there's things going on with his ankle there uh, off of that first cut, and and that's another thing. I mean, Dallas Goddard gets hurt during the game. Both Brown and Devontae Smith are spend some time in the medical tent. Josh Sweat spends some time in the medical tent. Goes to the locker room, comes back, and comes into the game. So you had star players in and out of the lineup, and with everything else going on, it just. You get out, you lost the game. That sucks, but you move on and you don't let that game beat you again on Sunday. Is there any update on Avante Maddox? He's on IR, so he'll miss at least three more games. Um, oh, they, so put him on, they just put him on IR? Yeah, they put him on IR. I think it was actually Monday, like Monday afternoon. So he didn't practice all week with a hamstring injury. And I think they knew all along he wouldn't play Sunday or Monday, excuse me. Uh, but they probably, you know, soft tissue injuries, that's hard to project out. You put him on IR, he's out for four weeks. So I don't know what the decision-making process was going into that, but they did put him on IR before the game Monday, so that counts as game one. So he'll be out three more games at a minimum. Uh, and you would assume he'd be back. You wouldn't assume he would miss more than that with a hamstring. But we'll see. And all that, you know, we talked about the miscommunications with Josiah Scott and Darius Slay. This isn't the first time Avante Maddox has been out of a game this season he was injured early in the year too and so this can also be invaluable experience for Josiah Scott if he's got to step in for a second half or for a game you know week 17 against the or else that week 17 is the Saints week 18 against the Giants in a game that maybe means something or in the playoffs uh, you do get some valuable reps here for Josiah Scott over the next few weeks I have a hot take Shane all right lay it on me is Avante Maddox, or I guess it's a hot take, a question that could turn into a hot take. Is it possible that Avante Maddox is more important to this defense than Jordan Davis? Yes, possibly. Uh, it's Just both, because, not, yeah, I mean. Yeah, both for how the Eagles uh, like to play zone matching things. So mm-hmm. you got the continuity there. And for what they asked their slot corner to do in run fits. And Avante Maddox is a good tackler. He's small, mm-hmm. 
he does not knock people backwards, but he doesn't often miss tackles as guys stumble over him forward two yards. So I think he's pretty good as a run fitter. Um, so it's possible, uh, although his backup is much more competent than anything else the Eagles have at defensive tackle, I think. So That's uh, fair. it's an interesting thought, though. Yeah, I, I definitely just felt like we were missing uh, Avante in the slot in, in this game. I think that there probably is some communication issues that come with just shuffling in guys as opposed to not having Avante out there. So uh, just that was just the thought that I had when everyone was obviously talking about Jordan Davis on Twitter um, because that's what Eagles Twitter is now. It's just a, a collection of people that like to talk about Jordan Davis. I kid. Um, but I like uh, to think I started that trend week one. Yeah, no, you're you're definitely a part of that. You're you're definitely a part of that. And and me hating on it is not me is not me saying I don't think Jordan Davis is a tremendous run stuffer. I do. I just sometimes think Eagles fans are talking about a guy who's playing like, you know, thirty percent of the snaps and he's really good in those thirty percent of the snaps. But I, I think sometimes when people when when not you and not, you know, the smart people on Eagles Twitter. But I think that there are some casual Eagles fans that like tweet out like, "Oh, Jordan Davis being out is killing us," and it's like, "Well, yeah, you probably think he plays like 100 percent of the snaps. Like he's play- It's not like you know 70 percent of the like, snaps you're seeing that you're complaining about. He wouldn't have been out there for anyway. So it is like it is, but probably not in the way that you imagine. Like this uh, Monday night was the worst T.J. Watt and Kazir White games of the season. And a lot of that goes to Jordan Davis being out because they're asked with Davis out, they're asked to play faster into the gaps and they're just not good at that. And so really, and this is going to kill people that were not fans of the pick because Davis is never going to be a big stat guy. It's what he does for so many other people. Uh, so they're right. In the, they're, they're right in a sense, but not in the way that they think. I mean, I'm not even necessarily trying to justify the pick at this point or, or, or go against the pick at this point. I'm more so just yelling at the Eagles fans who think he's playing way more than he is, I, I guess. Yeah. I think that, you know, plugging Jordan Davis back in is just like a, a cure-all, fix-all um, when it's just not the case because he's not playing enough to be a cure-all, fix-all type of guy. But he's great when he's out there. There's absolutely no debate on that. The goal, the difference in him being out there and not is that the commanders consistently got to second and seven instead of second and mm-hmm. nine or ten. That's fair. And yeah. that impacts everything else. But at the end of the day, the commanders had a negative EPA on early downs. First and second down was a negative EPA. That The early down defense did its job. It could have made the late down defense's job easier, uh, but they put the late down defense in advantageous situations and they just couldn't get off the field. Yeah, I, I just think that the third down pass defense was just so reprehensibly bad in this game. And ultimately, aside from my officiating comments, I think that is ultimately, in terms of on-field uh, you know, issues, I think that was the number one issue that led to them losing the game. Yeah. All right. I got that out of my system. Do you got anything else that you want to throw out there uh, from the game before we move on into the rest of the slate? No, before we go to the rest of the slate, let's touch on some of the Jalen Hurts stuff from the uh, from the Jason Kelsey interview. I thought that that was I thought that was fascinating. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think <clears throat> one of the biggest things I thought was interesting was when he talked about the draft 
and he thought he had no clue, you know, he was going to end up in Philadelphia. And he said that he thought Pittsburgh was a possibility. And so when he got the area code, and I don't remember what it is, I'm not from Pennsylvania, but when the area code popped up on his phone, he's like, but the Steelers just picked. And he was kind of confused about what was going on. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I, I, it's shocking that Howie fell so in love with Jalen, and we literally just met with him at the Combine. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, it's pretty crazy that there was absolutely no contact between the Eagles and Jalen leading up between the combine to the draft. And then you just draft him to back up your, you know, former franchise QB who makes a ton of money on a deal you just gave him. It's still so crazy that, I mean, and it's crazy. It's even crazier that it worked out, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other, you know, things from, uh, I guess they them talking about Jason Kelsey snapping the ball was yeah. very funny. Uh, how, Jason Jalen Hurts made a funny comment about like, yeah, Kelsey snaps the ball different, and uh, Kelsey said that's a fu- that's a nice way of saying every quarterback that I've ever played with hates the way that I snap the ball, um, and, and <laughs> talking joking about how fast it gets on them. Um, yeah, it was just like if you're an Eagles fan and you listen to that that podcast, you're just gonna like smile like half the time because you know yeah. they're the best. Jason Kelsey and Jalen just come off as so likable. I, I never thought about the snap thing before, um, and I'm the I'm the offensive line guy, and it makes total sense that Kelsey is so small, he's so undersized, he has to win with leverage and technique, and so he was talking about you know he's got to snap it fast, he's got to get his hand back because he's got to get his hands placed right and all this stuff like he can't that 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 tenth of a second to get the ball out quick so he can get his hand up that's the difference in him winning or losing a rep against. You know, let's face it, every, every guy that rushes against him is bigger and stronger than he is. And so uh, he's all about leverage and technique, and I never really thought about that before. Um, but, yeah, I thought it was funny, just his his comment of that's the nice way of saying every quarterback I've ever played with hates the way I snap the ball. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was so funny. And, and I guess one last thing, did you kind of get the vibe from that podcast that this is probably Jason's last year? Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I thought that when they drafted uh, Cam Jurgens as well, but that it kind of seemed like it to me, and I think the Eagles know that. I think everybody probably knows that. Um, although he did leave it open a little bit to, he thought yeah. he was done after 2020. Um, there was also some, it was subtle. Just listening to it, if you didn't know all the background, you wouldn't maybe think about it, but as I listened to it, I couldn't help but hear just like, all of the under the radar things about how awful Carson Wentz was in the locker room. Like Hertz kind of talked about working with quarterbacks and he didn't do it in a way to throw shade, but you could tell. And the same with Kelsey, just talking kind of about the disaster of 2020. And I mean, to be honest, I got the vibe that Kelsey was done partway through the 2020 season and them going to Hertz maybe brought him back. Uh, so just some interesting interesting nuggets there, but definitely recommend it. It was a great podcast to go listen to. Yeah, if you're an Eagles fan, you, you have to check it out. It's, it's definitely a must-listen. All right. Well, we're flushing that Eagles game away, and we're going to get on to the rest of the slate here. Um, I should have put like preloaded like a flushing animation in here. Maybe we'll what, fix what, that post-production that I don't do, but whatever. Wasn't that a thing last year? Didn't Sirianni say flush it and move on or something? Wasn't that know. a controversy after a game 
Sirianni said something stupid in the post game. I'm looking this up now while while we're talking. Yeah, Sirianni saying something stupid to the press wouldn't surprise me. I love Sirianni. He's goofy. Uh, but anyways, um, so let's move on here into some of these other games. Some games, I, I will admit, I'm not as prepared for this podcast as I typically am. Uh, the uh, different schedule. Out. Okay, yeah. Time out. It was Jalen Hurts. Remember he said, uh, you take a deuce, you don't sit there and look at it. You flush it and move on. We're going to flush it and move on. It was Jalen. I, I knew that okay. there was something last year. Sirianni was cool. the flower thing, planting flowers. Yeah, yeah. the fertilizer. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I had I didn't get I didn't get to re-watch as many of these games and stuff as I normally do. So I've got less notes over some of these. I told Mark maybe this is the ever-elusive under-an-hour episode, but we're 36 minutes in and just moving off the Eagles. So it's just never going to happen. Uh, but we'll get into some of these, and some of them will probably go quick. We've got a few. We've got some more things to talk about. And as the season winds on, we're going to find ourselves focusing on more, you know, a smaller subset of teams that are our contenders more and more. But we'll start with two teams that aren't contenders on the Thursday night game. It was the Atlanta Falcons traveling to Carolina, and they lost 15-25. to 25. Uh, The Panthers ran the ball on 17 of their first 23 plays. And they had 128 yards rushing at halftime. They ended with 232. And I just think it's hilarious that they had to trade Christian McCaffrey to become a running team. Um, <laughs> for for the Falcons, the, the take is the same thing it's been for a month now. Marcus Mariota is just not it. He took five sacks. He threw a pick. Had two more picks dropped. Like, Falcons, you're not contenders. You, you're not going to win your division this year. Just put Desmond Ritter out there and see what he can do for the rest of the season. Yeah, Mariota was really bad in this game, took five sacks. It's also – it's not like he really allowed for the running backs to do all that well. Um, it, it, the running backs were 22 carries for uh, for 95 yards, so it's not like they were efficient, um, which the whole thing with Mariota is his play action so good that it's supposed to help the efficiency of the running game. Took five sacks, didn't help the efficiency of the running game, threw a pick. Also, threw the pick where he was on his back – um, I, I don't know if you saw that one where he was like, screw it, someone down there somewhere, um, and, and just threw it up, but they ended up ruling him down, um, so he didn't end up didn't Somebody end up tweeted that anything. clip in slow motion and said that's Kyler trying a, trying 360 no-scopes in Call of Duty. <laughs> oh, man. Didn't Kyler – no, I, I guess Kyler didn't get a win this weekend. Arizona got a win this weekend, so I guess we can, we can still make fun of Kyler. Um, but yeah, I mean that th- this was definitely the game where it's like, this is the tipping point. Like, you're four and six now. You kind of gave up like your your division lead, which was a farce anyway. Um, go with a guy. Go with Ritter. Maybe he'll even like inject some life back into you, and you can compete. Because uh, right now, I think what we're seeing, uh, they're they're not going to compete to win this division. No, no not at all. All right, let's go to Germany for the early Sunday morning game. Seattle uh, lost to Tampa Bay in Germany 16-21 to as Tom Brady became the first quarterback in NFL history to win a, far, uh, win a start in four different countries. So he now has wins in the United States, the United Kingdom, Mexico, and Germany. Uh, so Tampa Bay... They finally got a ground game going in this game. They have struggled to run the ball all year. Rashad White rushed for 105 yards. 
spelling Leonard Fournette, who had rushed for 57 before he injured his hip. He was having his best game of the year as well. So Tampa Bay is going to hit their bye at 500, and they seem to be getting back on track, or at least getting on track enough to win the NFC South, which we just talked about is not a good division. For Seattle, though, this loss really hurts them in the NFC West. It's a division that's going to be a little more competitive. San Fran is coming on, as we knew they would. Uh, Kenneth Walker couldn't get anything going on the Bucks' run defense. He had 1.7 yards per carry. Uh, he had negative 33 rushing yards over expectation. So uh, it was totally up to Geno Smith to do it through the air. And I thought Geno played well. He was 23-33 for 275 yards and two touchdowns. He did lose a critical fumble inside the 10, but I thought Geno played well. It just wasn't the Seahawks' day, and they drop a game that they're going to wish they could have back as it goes down the stretch here in the West. Yeah, I mean, this was like the Bucks team we thought we were going to get. Um, you know, maybe a secondary that's not that great, and Geno was able to take advantage of that. But, I mean, the Bucks team of the last few years, you weren't going to run the football against them. And Seattle is so predicated on running the football. And Kenneth Walker, you know, 10 carries, 17 yards, like you said. So um, this was the classic Todd Bowles, Tampa Bay Bucks defense, finally showing up after a few weeks where they looked vulnerable against the run. So whatever was going on there, they were able to correct that. They were able to fix it. Um, and they kind of got back on track. Yeah. I saw some Geno negativity on, on Twitter about this. And it's probably because it was – it was basically a primetime game in the morning. It was a standalone game, so everyone was watching the same game, so everyone has to complain about something. And anyone who's complaining about Geno in this game, I mean, he had 275 yards. He was over eight yards per attempt, two touchdowns, no no picks. Um, I, I get that he lost the fumble, but I, I thought Geno was very good in this game. Um, and Geno continues to be very good, uh, so it shouldn't be surprising. But – Tom Brady uh, was very good in this game outside of the fact that if you are calling the plays for a Tom Brady-led offense, how on earth do you justify calling a play where Tom Brady is a receiver and is the intended target after what happened in 2017 and then after what happened on Sunday? Like, how do you honestly think that that's a good option? It just feels like it's a house of horrors. As soon as Tom Brady goes out to run a route, bad things happen. What what was what was Tom Brady's forty time at the combine? What was it? What was it? Five? I don't know. Five something. Tariq yeah. Woolen's literally the most athletic defensive back ever measured. I I don't think I'm throwing to Tom. We talk about picking your matchups. I don't think that's a matchup I'm taking. Who got the pick? Is that Fournette? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Fournette. Yeah, yeah. Fournette threw it, and Tariq Woolen picked it off. Oh my. God, that, yeah, just just terrible, terrible play calling there by Leftwich to to put Tom Brady back in that situation. I mean, Tom is going to wake up. By the way, Tom's got a lot of go. Tom's got a lot going on. Obviously, the divorce. I don't know if you're following any of this FTX stuff. Uh, I don't I'm know. Not, if you, but... So FTX. I don't. By the way, I'm not too well versed in any of this. It's a cryptocurrency. I guess like it it ran a bunch of these other cryptocurrencies and. Basically, there's a ton of these people who had a ton of money in this company, and it just found out that they were like completely defrauded, basically, and all this money is just gone. Tom Brady lost millions. So what an eventful couple weeks for Tom Brady with the divorce, losing millions in a Ponzi scheme, and you get to go to Germany and you win a game in Germany. So, I mean, 
Hey, I guess it's not all bad for Tom Brady. So Brady's going to be playing a few more years, is what you're saying? Absolutely. And I think Finally. like okay. now that you're now, especially that he like chose football over his family, I think he like has to play a few more years to like justify the decision. By the way, the whole thing with Leonard Fournette almost not getting his passport, which maybe it would have been good if he didn't. He wouldn't throw a pick. He wouldn't have hurt his hip. But <laughs> as a professional, faster. As a professional athlete who is known for months that you're going to Germany, <laughs> how do you not have your passport? Like I don't even understand. And that's he's not the first one. There was a it was a Giants punter or something mm-hmm. earlier this year had the same sort of issue. I just don't understand. NFL team should have a passport guy that's on that. I don't know, but I I appreciate it. As a procrastinator and as someone who doesn't like to think of things until I absolutely have to, uh, I, I appreciate knowing that I'm going to Germany. It's one of those situations where it's like you see the schedule and it's like, oh, I'm going to Germany in the middle of November. And then like September rolls around and you're like, that's so far away. Like that's in November. And then October rolls around. It's like that's like a month away, and then it's like, oh wait, I'm going to Germany next week, and I don't have a passport. I respect it. I respect the procrastination by Leonard Fournette and the Giants punter. All right, there you go. Procrastinate. It leads to greatness. Yeah, yeah. Procrastinate greatness. All right, let's get into it's craziest game of the year, probably. The Vikings at Buffalo. Vikings win this game 33-30 to in overtime, but the ending of this game was wild. Like, I tell you guys that you can listen to this podcast and you can get a feel for what happened in all the other games. Go watch the last, like, three minutes of regulation of this game in overtime if you haven't seen it. If you haven't seen it, let me just paint a picture for you. The Vikings are down by four. And they have a fourth and 18, and Justin Jefferson makes the most ridiculous catch I've ever seen. Like, mm-hmm. think of the OBJ catch if it was contested. Because it's literally the same, like, one-handed catch, but taking it out of the hands of a defensive back. The and Vikings get fourth, And if it was fourth and 18 to save a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then the Vikings get down to fourth and goal at the one. And they have a failed QB sneak that Kirk Cousins could not have looked less interested in pushing into the end zone for. And you think this is it, it's over. So the Bills line up to QB sneak. And Josh Allen fumbles the snap on the QB sneak. And it's recovered by... So so at first, I'm seeing this and I think, oh, they didn't get out of the end zone. This is a safety. That sucks. Now it's a one-point game. But then you realize, no, no, no. It wasn't a safety. They fumbled it, and Minnesota recovered it in the end zone for a touchdown. Minnesota takes a three-point lead. Then Josh Allen goes 69 yards in 39 seconds, and the Bills kick a field goal to send it into overtime. And they end up losing in overtime on a Josh Allen interception. Uh, but just a crazy, crazy end of the game. I saw like the win probability chart for that one, and it just like going up and down. It looks like the stock market graphs just everywhere. Um, so... The biggest, the biggest thing for me in this game, Justin Jefferson. Wow. Like, so he has 20 games with 100-plus yards right now, which is the most by any player in his first three seasons. In this game, he had nine receptions with a sub-50% completion probability per next-gen stats. No other player has ever had more than six in a game. So he just routinely 
making highlight reel catches. Justin Jefferson is a stud, man. And Minnesota is 8-1 and one now. They're tied for the best record in the NFL. Obviously, the Eagles have the tiebreaker. I continue to think Minnesota is not as good as their record says. They continue to win football games, and that's not easy to do. It's certainly not easy to do against Buffalo on the road. Uh, so props to Minnesota. Um, I'm still not going to trust them in the playoffs, but they're definitely going to be there, and they've got a shot to be the one seed when they get there. Yeah, it's going to be hard for them with the tiebreaker going to the Eagles there. Obviously, they're going to have to outperform the Eagles for the rest of the year. Um, and we're going to get to Justin Jefferson um, either now or when we talk about the Dolphins because me and Shane got in a little – we got in a little argument or a debate um, about the best receiver in the world. So I do want to talk about that and hash that out. But I'm going to talk about the other side of this game. I feel like you talked a lot about the Vikings. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the Bills. Um and I just want to say, as like I, I kind of consider myself a little bit of a Bills hater this year because I think I've been the one coming on every week and saying like I'm not sure they're the best team or like should they really be the Super Bowl favorite? And even when they beat the crap out of the Rams in Week One or even when they beat the Chiefs, I've been here to say like yeah okay, but I, you know I'm not as sure as everyone else that they're just going to go win the Super Bowl. Having said all of that. This Josh Allen negativity that I've seen on Twitter after this game where he, he's all of a sudden overrated and he's all of a sudden costing the Bills games. Are we are we serious with that? Like I guess the I get you know, I thought Josh Allen had universally the highest approval rating of like any star in sports. Uh, to the point where I remember on on my radio show last year. Uh, when Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen faced each other in the playoffs and everyone was rooting for Josh Allen. I was like, when did this happen that we all hate Patrick Mahomes and love Josh Allen? I guess the life cycle of a, of a star in sports or maybe even more so an NFL quarterback is just that when you get too good, people eventually there's a ticking time clock for people to that they can't wait to turn on you and they can't wait to kind of be anti the, the superstar Josh Allen is an absolute superstar he is the second maybe third best quarterback in the NFL I'd say second we talked about that the other day and I, I've seen a lot of like oh you just he's really good but the turnovers are a killer you take the five percent of bad plays that Josh Allen makes because of the 15 to 20% of incredible plays that Josh Allen makes that about, you know, 1% of quarterbacks who have ever played in the NFL can make. Um, he, I mean, he's a special player and you take the bad with the good eight days a week and, and you know, and twice on Sunday uh, because even in this game, in a game where people are walking out saying how bad he played, he rushed for 84 yards on six carries. He was 330 yards in this game. Like Josh Allen made some pretty incredible throws. Josh Allen ran some dudes over to get big first downs in, in this game. He, like you said, the Vikings score on that fumble in the end zone. How much time was left? There was like a minute left or however long, maybe even less than a minute left at that point. And Josh Allen goes right down the field. No problem. And gets a field goal. 69 nope. yards and 39 seconds. Yeah, exactly. And no problems at all. Just 
no hum went right down the field and got that field goal to go to overtime. No one's talking about that at all. Absolutely no one's talking about that at all. They're just talking about the interceptions. And I understand why. I can't believe I'm running here to defend Josh Allen and cape for Josh Allen. But it's ridiculous how people kind of just overreact to one result. And I saw some just some egregious takes on the timeline about how Josh Allen is going to cost the Bills the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, it's like, sorry, I, I took too long of a pause there. But how do you cost a team a Super Bowl when they'd have absolutely no chance at a Super Bowl without you? It's just dumb. Yeah, I mean, Josh Allen's a risk taker. He always has been. He he's gonna he's gonna fit the ball into a whole lot of tight windows, and he's gonna throw a few interceptions here or there, but. Josh Allen's a phenomenal player, easily, in my opinion, as well as yours, the second-best quarterback in the NFL, playing injured in this game, might, might I add. Um, it, it, the Bills are going to be fine. The most important thing is that they continue uh, to keep Josh Allen healthy till the end of the season, uh, but they're going to make noise in the playoffs. I'm not concerned about the Bills at all. It actually felt like they probably should have let Josh Allen sit a game or two just to – just to get, I mean, he looked good in this game, but they probably should have let him sit a game or two just to get right because you probably feel good about your chances to make the playoffs no matter what. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on. Uh, Detroit at Chicago. Detroit wins thirty-one to thirty despite trailing twenty-four to ten in the fourth quarter. Uh, Detroit made mistakes and Chicago just couldn't cash in. Goff throws a pick that was negated by a penalty, and then the Lions scored. Uh, on the Bears' next drive, Jeff Okuda intercepted a Justin Fields pass, and he returned it for a touchdown. Uh, that was the first pick six for the Lions in 60 games, by the way. So it's been a while. Uh, but Jeff Okuda, a guy, by the way, at the start of the year, I said I thought he was poised to come back and show why he was drafted as highly as he was. He's having a good season. But uh, Justin Fields, though, I want to talk about my guy Justin Fields. Obviously, he's got the pick six. That sucks. Uh, but he rushed for 147 yards and two touchdowns on 13 carries. Uh, he threw two touchdowns to Cole Komet. Fields in this game became the only QB in NFL history with multiple 60-yard rushing touchdowns in the same season. That 67-yard rushing touchdown was just electric. He, he topped 20 miles per hour on that run. It was the seventh time this season he's topped 20 miles per hour. All other quarterbacks in the NFL have nine times combined. Like He is the best athlete at the quarterback position in the NFL. And this is why I was so high on him in the draft, because if you can figure out the passing part, which obviously is a big part of quarterbacking, if you can figure out the passing part, he is the most dynamic athlete at quarterback in the NFL. And the athleticism buys you time to figure out the passing, and you're seeing that the Bears are competitive with as bad as their offensive roster is as bad as their defense is because they're punting this season now trading guys they're competitive because of justin fields and you love to see it uh, i'm excited to see what the bears are going to do how they're going to build around him this offseason yeah i mean he's a highlight reel and he is the most must watch player in the nfl right now on a week-to-week basis um, especially because you know He's not going to make the playoffs, so, you know, you kind of have to enjoy him while you can this regular season. Um, while, you know, guys like Tua and Jalen and Mahomes and Allen, you're going to get chances to watch them in the playoffs. So, um, 
yeah, I mean, 147 yards rushing, 11.3 yards per carry. Um, I actually, the most impressed I was, though, with Justin Fields was through the air in this game. I felt like he took a lot of shots deep. Um, he took one deep shot to Cole Komet. He was wide open on, on, on another. Um, but it, it was really good to see Justin Fields kind of have the courage to make some of the throws that he did down the field, where in the past it has felt a little dink and dunk at, at times when he's not running around. Um, yards per attempt here, well over eight, eight at around eight and a half. Um, this was probably the best game he's played this year. Um, I, I don't know if you disagree with that. Um, the numbers might have been better against Miami, and the numbers might have been better even against Dallas. But just in terms of watching the three games, I thought this was his best game, even with a bad pick six. That was a, a mistake on his part and a, a bad throw. He also come he he promised after the game to never do that again. So I guess that means never throw a pick six again. So yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold him to that. I'm gonna hold him to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Hey, we want to get better every every game, so let's never throw a pick six again. I like it. In three years, when he throws a pick six, I'm gonna be like on this on this podcast. I'm gonna be like, "Well, Justin, you said on, on November 13th of 2022 that you would never do that again." Yeah, pull that clip up and save it. We'll we'll come back yeah. to it. Yeah. All right, let's roll on. Jacksonville at Kansas City. They lose 17 to 27. Uh, Doug Peterson. Opening the game, did you see this? Did you watch? Yeah. Did you get? He opens the game with an onside kick that they recovered. It, it set the tone for what Jacksonville wanted to do. You know, you're not going to be able to keep pace with Kansas City, so you play like this. I did think Doug should have stayed more aggressive, though. Like he punted on fourth and a foot from their own thirty in the second quarter, and yeah, yeah, it's your own thirty. But what are we doing here? I mean, you can't converting on fourth and a foot is much more likely than recovering an onside kick. So. Uh, I thought he'd shied away from that aggressiveness, but it was the aggressiveness that I love from Doug. Um, on the Chiefs side, Kadarius Tony is going to be a weapon for the Chiefs, and the league made a mistake by letting Tony end up there. Uh, he has 33 rushing yards, 57 receiving yards. He scored a touchdown. He returns punts. I, I do not blame the Giants for getting him out of the building. You kind of wish somebody other than the Chiefs is where he would have ended up. But uh, the Chiefs in this game, they lose the turnover battle 3-0, to zero, and they still control this game from start to finish. Uh, and in this game, Patrick Mahomes passed Dan Marino for the most touchdown passes in his first 75 starts, and he did it with three starts to spare. So he may put that record totally out of reach uh, for the foreseeable future over the next three games. Yeah, he. I'm pretty sure that the stat or something is that Patrick Mahomes throws for 300 plus yards and four plus touchdowns in like 15 percent of his games of his career, which is just like an insane stat. Yeah, I, I don't have much to say about this game um, outside of the quarterback play. So before I get to that, I'll just say uh, um, Andre Cisco not getting penalized for the hit he put on Juju that concussed Juju and is probably going to keep him out for a while is just like, what are we doing NFL? Like, how is that not reviewable? Like we're all watching the same replays. You have to have some sort of, some sort of capability from the booth to when you see a reprehensibly bad hit that leads to, you know, the fencing reaction where the Juju's putting his hands up by his face and he's terribly, terribly concussed on the field. Someone has to call in and be like, Hey, 
Andre Cisco just launched himself like a missile at Juju's head with his helmet down. Maybe we throw a flag retroactively here. Obviously, that's not the, you know, it, it's just, it's just funny when they pretend to, to care about player safety because it's just so clear that they don't care about player safety at this point. Um, but moving on from that morbid topic, uh, I thought both quarterbacks played great. Um, I thought Mahomes, you know, I don't have to talk, I don't have to go too in depth to say, yeah, Patrick Mahomes, pretty good at football. Um, he, he's the best quarterback I've ever seen. And even with everything I said about Josh Allen earlier and how good I think Josh Allen is, it's also games like what Josh Allen just had and games like what Patrick Mahomes just had kind of show you how dumb it was in the offseason when I was hearing people say Josh Allen's the best quarterback in the NFL or they're neck and neck or they're dead even or they're tied for number one, 1A, 1B. No. It's Patrick Mahomes and then there's a gap to Josh Allen. And that's not a slight on Josh Allen. It's props to, in my opinion, the most talented player to ever play the sport. The things Patrick Mahomes is doing, no one's ever done, especially this early in his career. And we were talking about it off air for years. Peak LeBron James was you, – you people would make jokes when the Charlotte Bobcats were still a team. To the kids out there, the Charlotte Bobcats were an NBA franchise. They're now the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, when the Charlotte Bobcats were an NBA franchise, people would joke and say, you put LeBron on the Bobcats and they'll win 50 games. Well, I think you put Patrick Mahomes on the Lions, and I think they win 15 games. Like, I think they'd, they'd probably compete for a Super Bowl. I think you put him on any team in the NFL. I think they're automatically an 11-plus win team. They're automatically a top four to five contender in their conference. Uh, Mahomes is that special. Um, but then on the other side, people aren't going to ultimate The ultimate test of that would be put Patrick Mahomes on the Houston Texans. Could he yeah. get him to the playoffs? He could. I think he could. Uh, I think he could. I mean, oh, it's not the not the toughest division. Tennessee's pretty good, but and and Houston has nothing. I mean, they got Brandon Cooks, but yeah. No, yeah, I, I don't think there's a team you can name that I that I won't be that I won't tell you that he can absolutely lead uh, to the play. He can do it to Jacksonville as well. But Trevor Lawrence, um, on the people are going to talk about it because they scored 17 points. Trevor Lawrence played a great game in this game, I thought. I thought he was incredibly efficient, especially in the second half when they were trying to mount a, a little bit of a comeback. Um, but 29 for 40, 260 yards, two touchdowns. Um, I, I felt like he had a really, really good connection with Christian Kirk in this game. Um, I have nine catches for 105 yards all on 12 targets, two touchdowns there. Um, but he was going to Kirk a ton um, in, in this game. And I think that that's something to build on. Uh, you're, you obviously are going to have Christian Kirk over the next couple of years with the contract they gave him, which doesn't look as bad with some of the numbers he's putting up. And then you have Calvin Ridley coming in next year. Um, so you have to have some hope that this chemistry he's building with Kirk, once you throw Ridley into the mix and ETN has a full year under his belt and is kind of the do-it-all running back at that point, I think there's a lot to be excited about with the Jags offense for next year. Just like I think there's a lot to be excited about with the Bears offense for next year. It's just going to be on Jacksonville to put pieces around them. Yeah, yeah, I feel very good about the direction that Jacksonville is headed moving forward. So, 
All right, let's roll on. Cleveland at Miami. Cleveland gets trounced 39-17. to 17. Uh, Tua, not just good when he's throwing to Tyreek Hill. He connected with eight different receivers in this game. He threw touchdowns to three different receivers. He ended 25 of 32 for 285 yards and three touchdowns. The Dolphins got their run game going, too. Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert combined for 184 yards on 25 carries. That's almost 7.5 yards per carry and two touchdowns. They also added 46 receiving yards. Uh, Tua has now thrown three passing touchdowns in three straight games. Miami's undefeated in games that Tua starts and ends as their quarterback. Uh, I have no interest in talking about Cleveland, but Miami... They could make a push. I, I really think they could make a push for a one for the one seed in the AFC. Obviously, you know, it's a little bit of an uphill climb with the Chiefs, but they are as legit of a Super Bowl contender out of the AFC as there is. We we asked the question a little while back, who's the fourth best team in the NFL? I, I'm not sure that Miami's not in the top three. Wow, yeah, I mean that'd be a take. I think they are probably fourth right now. I have some concerns about the defense. They didn't show themselves in this game. Cleveland uh, wasn't able to really take advantage of what I think is a really bad secondary um, in, in Miami. Uh, you're going to have to see them play against some better passing attacks to see if they've kind of fixed some things there. That's going to be kind of the key, I, I think, with Miami's playoff aspirations this year. Maybe um, their but- secondary struggles so much because they just get demoralized in practice all week. Yeah, that could be it. Maybe maybe no, Tua awesome. needs to turn in some clunkers in practice or something just to give a little bit of a confidence boost. Just just do like you know you do with your kids playing playing basketball in the backyard, your bricking shots and all that. Maybe Tua just needs to just pull his punches a little bit in practice. Yeah, send Skylar Thompson out there. The defense will feel great about themselves. <laughs> um, but I, this is literally like go back and watch the tape. Find me bad Tua, please. I think he played a perfect game here. Like, uh, and that's like, I hate to be the two and on guy that just comes on here and capes for him every single week. 25 for 32, 285, nine yards per attempt, three touchdowns, 93.7 QBR here. Like, it, it was a near perfect game from two. It felt like every time they needed a third down conversion, every time it felt like they needed a big play, they were able to go and get that. He was also able to do it without. Tyreek dominating the target share and dominating the receptions and yard share. Five catches, 44 yards, a touchdown. It, it's funny. Each of those catches for Tyreek felt really important. Like each of them were third down conversions or kind of a big play when the offense went in a little bit of a rut or early on in the game. Um, but yeah, I mean, Tyreek and Waddle on the same offense is going to open up things obviously so much for the other people. And it opens up things so much for the running game because you're always kind of going to sacrifice the running game to to do everything you can to stop Waddle and Hill as much as you can. Um, and Jeff Wilson, it's just genius stuff from Miami and McDaniel. You you trade for Jeff Wilson from San Fran, and I think a lot of people would be like, oh, I won't throw him right into the fire. Uh, McDaniel's like, I'm running the same plays I ran in San Fran, so I'll throw Wilson <laughs> right in there. He knows the plays. Um, and, and Wilson fits right into their scheme. It's a perfect match. Um Mostert ran well in this game. I'm always going to be skeptical of his health and if he's able to stay healthy. And that's why you give him limited carries. You give him eight carries and he gets his 65 yards. That's probably how you should use Mostert. Um, Jeff Wilson, in my opinion, can be a a legitimate kind of bell cow back for them 
um, and that helps their offense so much. I mean, this is absolutely one of the three best offenses in football. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's roll on. Uh, Houston at New York Giants. They lose 16-24 to in a game that I don't have much to talk about. Uh, Saquon yeah. Barkley gets a career-high carries, 35 for 152 yards. Daniel Jones was an efficient 13 to 17 for 197 yards, two touchdowns with a 153.3 QB rating. Uh, Houston's offense just looked lost. They opened the game with three straight three and outs. They had 86 first half yards, and 44 of those came on one run by Damian Pierce. So, Texans stink. They're going to be in contention for the number one overall pick. Uh, the Giants continue to win games, and I'm still not sold on the Giants. They're a well-coached team. I still just feel like I'm waiting on the other shoe to drop, but the other shoe's going to have to drop like ASAP, or the Giants are going to be in the playoffs. Like They're going to be in the playoffs. Uh, I just wonder how they're going to do against some better opponents. Unders are 16-1 and in the last 17 Giants home games. That's an insane stat. I heard it. Uh, two weeks ago, when it was 14-1, and one, bet it the last two home games. It has hit the last two home games. So they play again this week at home against the Detroit Lions. The, the under is at 46-and-a-half. I'll be on the, the Giants home unders again at MetLife. Um, but, yeah, that's really all I have to say about this game. Daniel Jones played very well. All right. Uh, New Orleans at Pittsburgh. New Orleans loses 20-10. to 10. Uh, T.J. Watt returned in this game the first time he's played since week one when he had the uh, injury. It was the pectoral injury. He didn't get a sack. He didn't make an impact on how the defense played. Uh, He ended the day with four tackles. New Orleans converted only three of 12 third downs in this game. They had no rushing attack. They only had 29 rushing yards. Uh, Their decision to look at this roster and to take an additional first-round pick it was the worst decision in an offseason littered with awful decisions. It was the worst. Like Literally, all they had to do was say, our Hall of Fame quarterback is gone. Our Hall of Fame coach is retiring. We're in cap hell. All they had to do was sit on their hands for three months and do nothing. They would have tanked this season, which they're doing anyways, and they would have sat there with a top, five pick in next year's draft they would have selected their quarterback of the future they would have had tons of cap room and they could have lured in a head coach instead they've set their franchise back by years with their awful decisions this offseason like sometimes you know we'll just we'll just quote kenny rogers sometimes you got to know when to hold them and sometimes you got to know when to fold them and the saints should have folded this offseason but they chose to push their chips into the middle of the table and they're going to pay dearly for it over the next couple of years. On the Steelers' side, Najee Harris had 20 carries for 99 yards, and the rookie Jalen Warren had 77 yards on 12 touches out of the backfield. That's combined passes and rushes. But it's nice to see the Steelers get some semblance of a ground game going. And then kind of the crazy stat is Mike Tomlin has now beaten every team in the NFL except the Steelers. So, at some point in time, he's got to go coach for a different team for a year so he can beat the Steelers and become the first coach to ever beat all 32 teams. Yeah, I, I, this Saints season was just – I mean, it's its almost like two people on this podcast told you exactly how this season was going to play out for you, Saints fans. Like, 
we told you you were not going to be good. There were Saints fans out there expecting to go to the playoffs. There were Saints fans out there expecting to win the division. There were people on ESPN, Bart Scott, saying that the Saints had the best roster in the NFL. And I just never understood where the optimism was coming from. And every week that you watch them, they look worse and worse. Dennis Allen looks like that Raiders head coaching job that we all wrote off as being, oh, well, it was the Raiders. How can you really blame him? Looks like maybe you could blame him. Looks like he probably is a bad football coach. Um, And I think we're seeing that at length now. Um, And on top of that, they go and trade Chauncey Gardner-Johnson right right before the season. For nothing. For nothing. To the team that you gave your first-round pick to. Like, you're just – Howie Roseman just goes to bed at night, like, thinking about what he's going to do next to the New Orleans Saints. Like, he's just – he has just stolen that franchise's soul um, over the last nine months or so. Um, so yeah, it's it's crazy to see how how down south this Saints season is going. I will say the Saints probably get a win this week, playing the Cooper Cupless Rams uh, uh, upcoming. They do have a tough stretch after that of, of pretty tough games, including us on the schedule. Um, so I don't think the Saints are getting more than five or six wins. So I think you can safely say. Uh, we're getting a top six to seven pick. I've already done my – oh, Shane, I'm already diving into Will Anderson versus Miles Murphy. Um, uh, Will Anderson, the, the Bama edge rusher for people who don't know, and the Miles, Miles Murphy, the Clemson defensive end uh, for people who don't know. I've been diving deep on comparing the two. I thought I was a Will Anderson guy. Starting to become a Miles Murphy guy. Um, but then, You're going to be so uh, upset when they take Jalen Carter. I know. I, I like Jalen Carter. I, I do like Jalen Carter a lot. He's a freak. He's a beast. Um, I just would prefer an edge. Uh, I would prefer one of those two guys. I think those two guys are both so good um, that they're at least on Carter's level, and edge makes more sense for what we need. But I won't if, – if, you know, Cox is gone, if Hargrave's gone, if Tupelodu is gone, if they have Davis and him, and that's pretty much what they're paying to defensive tackles – then that's fine. I, I'd be fine with that. Uh, but the Steelers, uh, this is kind of what we thought the Steelers would be. When I thought the Steelers would be a nine-win team, maybe even a ten-win team that kind of got gets by on defense and running the ball and Pickett does just enough, these were kind of the games I envisioned, 20 to 10. And I, I did see a stat. The Steelers are one and nine without T.J. Watt uh, over the last three years, and they're like 17, 8, and 1 or something with them something crazy like that um is it just that simple that you know maybe the Steelers would be like four and five or five and four if TJ Watt hadn't missed the season maybe I mean their defense is totally different with TJ Watt so uh yeah I remember even talking on this podcast when they won that one game earlier this year I said it was the first game they've ever won without TJ Watt since he was drafted um and I think, you know, if they could have had a ground game earlier, if they would have gone to Kenny Pickett earlier and let him take his lumps in those first few games, they were losing anyways. But you know, I still don't think they're going to get to 500. They're, what, 3-6 and six now? Uh, but I would love that just for the continued storyline of, of Mike Tomlin never having a losing season for the Steelers. Yeah, I do think the Steelers have the potential here to go on a bit of a run. I know this isn't the, the preview show. Um, for week 11, but they are plus five against the Bengals this week. I do like them plus Who five. they beat week one? Yeah, there's there's some matchup stuff there that they've done pretty well against the Burrow Bengals. So 
Um, I, I do think that the Steelers compete in this game and potentially even win the game. And if you win the game at that point, you beat the Bengals, who you'd send the Bengals to, I think, five and six, and you'd move to to um, to four and – I think they'd be four and five at that point. At that point, it's not crazy to say that the Steelers can get back in the, back in the mix. Yeah, uh, for sure. So we'll see the, we'll see what happens there. I'm going to be pulling for the Steelers. I would love uh, for them to just go on a little bit of a run here. But uh, let's roll on to the Denver Broncos at Tennessee. Denver loses this game 17-10 to uh, despite starting up 10-0 in this game. Russell, West, Russell Westbrook. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> this Russell. game's going to be off in general. Our, our coverage of this game is going to be off in general. I did not watch a snap of this game. I don't plan on it. You can't make me shame. <laughs> well, Russell Wilson took six sacks and was hit 18 times by the Titans' pass rush. And this is every every team Russell Wilson plays for has an offensive line, a bad offensive line. Russell Wilson's the common denominator, right? If if uh, you're dating somebody and every time they talk about an ex, it's the crazy ex, all the exes probably weren't crazy, right? This is how it feels with Russell Wilson and the offensive lines at this point. Uh, Warren Sharp put out this stat on Twitter. He said that when Russell Wilson threw the ball within within 2.6 seconds, which is the NFL average, he had three hits and zero sacks. When he held it beyond 2.6 seconds, he took 14 hits and was sacked six times. So... This is on Russell Wilson, just like it's always been on Russell Wilson. Um, on a day that their defense, their elite defense, which is being totally wasted by a garbage quarterback and head coach, uh, they held Derrick Henry to 53 yards rushing. But the Titans had a wide receiver whose name I've never heard before, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce. Uh, top 100 yards for the first time this season for a Titans receiver as they climbed out of a 10-0 hole and they won. So... The Titans continue to win. The the Broncos continue to do Broncos things. Yeah, I, I don't have much to add. Uh, the Broncos were up 10 nothing. I th- This was not a game I had on one of my TVs or had any bets on. Um, and I, I made a comment to my friend where I said, Titans are probably going to win this game and no one will care. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, another game that nobody cares about at uh, Okay, that's that's mean. Some people, somebody out there cares about it. <laughs> the Indianapolis Colts at the Las Vegas Raiders. Indianapolis won this game twenty-five to twenty. Indianapolis has a coach who has never coached, and a play caller in Parks Frazier who has never called plays, and they beat the Raiders. Just in case you were wondering how the Raiders' season's going, uh, who also went all in, spending multiple picks for Devonte Adams. Now they're not going to have. Now, now they're going to give up a top five pick that they could have used to go get a quarterback. Since starting 6-0 and in Denver in 2009 as a head coach, Josh McDaniels is 7-24 and as a head coach. And yet, to hear Raiders ownership talk about him, he's just doing a great job. It was going to take a while. No, it wasn't. You didn't think it was going to take a while, or you wouldn't have traded a first and a second round pick for a receiver on the wrong side of 30. Like It's been a complete and utter disaster in Las Vegas and Josh McDaniels should lose his job, but they can't fire him because they're still paying John Gruden and they can't pay two coaches that don't coach for them anymore. So the Raiders are stuck. Uh, Derek Carr is going to be the scapegoat and he hasn't been great this year, but Carr will be gone. Uh, He is most definitely going to be the new quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts next season as uh, Ballard does not ever learn his lesson. 
and he's going to he's going to move on from Matt Ryan to go get the quarterback that just got beat by Matt Ryan. That's my prediction. The, the comments on McDaniel were crazy um, or McDaniels were crazy. They were saying it, it basically sounded like he had just hired him. Like the, it, it feels like he was just just hadn't paid attention to the first 10 games by some of his comments. Um, definitely bizarre behavior from Mark Davis. And, you know, it's going to take a while. He made the playoffs last year with Rich Basaccia, with your special teams coordinator coming in in the middle of the season. One quick question. Do they have to pay Gruden? I thought that that would – didn't they sue him? Weren't they, like, in a lawsuit against him? I, I feel like it, that has to be for cause. The way that they uh, fired Gruden, I feel like it has to be for cause. I don't know. That's I'm going to Google it. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Maybe that, that could be ongoing, honestly, that litigation. But, uh, yeah, that's that's definitely an interesting thing. I, I don't know if they still have to pay Gruden. Um, he, they was are still, like, he was still owed $40 million. Uh, yeah. Okay, they reached the Raiders reached an undisclosed contract settlement with John Gruden. Oh, uh, yeah, there you go. So they did something, but they paid him something. They're very cash poor, the Raiders, Mark Davis. That was why they traded Khalil Mack, because they didn't have the money to pay Khalil Mack at all at that time. So their owner basically forced them to trade him. Yeah. And then on the Colts side, you got Matt Ryan plays quarterback after a weird scenario, right? So ownership forces uh, the coaching staff to bench Matt Ryan and go to Sam Ellinger and then fires the coach and the offensive coordinator when it doesn't work. Jeff Saturday says Sam Ellinger's the guy, but then he played Matt Ryan. Uh, I wonder how somebody should ask Frank Reich how he feels about Jeff Saturday getting to play the quarterback he wanted to. Uh, when Reich wasn't afforded that opportunity, but that's neither here nor there. The Colts are a mess. Uh, but Matt Ryan goes 17 for his first 21 passing. He only took one sack. Uh, he had no fumbles. He even had a 39-yard run, Mark. Did he spend these two weeks off? Matty Ice icing up, sipping from the fountain of youth. Is he ready to ready to make a run into 2023 now? That 39-yard run is like a longer run than half of the teams in the NFL have this season, including the Eagles, by the way. Yeah, he outrushed Jalen Hurts on Sunday. He, I, that's a good question, actually. But he, uh, he definitely. Uh, I think the Eagles' longest run this year is like 25 yards or, or something like that. I heard, I heard that on a podcast. So that that Matt Ryan run was longer than any run that the Eagles have had this season, which is very funny. He's he's a very explosive athlete. I've always said that about Matt Ryan. You had a you had a, a big tweet go go viral last last. Uh, Last year, when the Falcons played the Eagles, and he juked out, um, I'm forgetting well, their it, name right now. It was the Vikings linebacker, um, not Anthony Harris. Uh, that was the safety. Who was the? I can't remember the linebacker's name, but I can't believe I can't remember that. Wow! I just it was Week One, and everybody was hyped about that guy, and I'd been saying it was no good, and then Matt Ryan like juked him, and I remember tweeting out, Eric Wilson. Eric this Wilson. Eric yeah. Wilson, the Eagles' best linebacker, getting juked out of his shorts by a 38-year-old Matt Ryan, and the Falcons retweeted it, like the the Falcons SB Nation account retweeted it, and it kind of blew up. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's an explosive athlete, Matt Ryan. He always has been. Back to his Boston College days. Um, on the other side here, Derek Carr. I I think it's unfair to say that he's going to be the Colts quarterback next year, because he's going to be the Washington Commanders quarterback next year. 
that that's his true destiny to, to go be the commander's quarterback him and Ron Rivera we get along um I, Derek Carr crying on the I don't know if you mentioned it I, I I don't think you did Derek Carr crying on the podium after the game um you feel bad for him he's kind of kind of one of those guys seems like he's probably a good guy a little little corny um but it definitely feels like man he's gonna get all the blame here when I don't know if it's his fault even though I will say he's played bad. He has not looked like himself. He has regressed. But, man, this situation is clearly so much bigger than him. Well, if he does go to Washington to be their quarterback, then I guess that means Carson Wentz is available. Maybe the Colts would be interested there. Yeah, they they don't have any history with him at all. (laughs) Um, And, by the way, when Derek Carr goes to Washington, I'm totally going to talk myself in on it, and I'm totally going to say how it's going to – make them a wild card team well i guess you know maybe they might be back in the running for the wild card now but um i, I talk myself in on the commanders every offseason for some reason all right uh let's talk about another nfc east team that's the dallas cowboys who lost to green bay 28 to 31 down 14 oh well by the way uh okay i'll talk about this in a minute but down 14 in the fourth quarter Rodgers connected with Christian Watson two times for touchdowns to get it into overtime. And then in overtime, the Cowboys get the ball first. They drove down the field. Uh, They elected to go for it on a fourth and three over attempting a 52-yard field goal. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. Uh, If I was the coach, I'd have an analytical model to go for that. I'm not sure how I feel about that actual decision. But uh, it did not pay off as they didn't pick up the first down. And then obviously the Packers drove down and got a field goal. CeeDee Lamb had a big day with 150 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Dak Prescott threw two interceptions to Rudy Ford in this game. So uh, not an ideal day for Dak Prescott. But my great moment from this game is watching this game. And after Christian Watson just did not track the deep ball from Aaron Rodgers at all, I tweeted this out. I said, he may well develop with time, but at this point of his career, Christian Watson is just a bad football player. An hour <laughs> later, he had caught three touchdown passes, only the <laughs> second rookie with three receiving touchdowns against Dallas. The other is Randy Moss, by the way. And so I re- I quote tweeted that, and I said, as I've always said, Christian Watson is a fantastic football player. And one of my, uh, one of my followers gave me a perfect out there and said that I did say he would develop with time and he apparently developed over that hour. So that's my out, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I called Christian Watson developing and going off uh, to take down the Cowboys. Man, this was a rough Dak game. This was one of those games where you just say, like, maybe he is overrated. Dak has quickly become, I think, the toughest evaluation in the league at quarterback. It's really hard to try to figure out where Dak belongs uh, on the tiers and who there you put him in the tier below like if you put him in the tier below where he belongs he's next to guys and you're like are you serious like he's so much better than these guys and then you put him on the tier above that and he's next to guys where he's like man I feel way better about these guys in the situation than Dak like he can't be on the same tier as like Joe Burrow or, or you know even Tua right now with the way Tua is playing um, two picks, and they both come at you know in the last 15 minutes of the game. 
Um, man, it, Dallas probably deserved to win this game. They should have won this game. They were up 28-14 with 13 minutes to go in this game. Um, CeeDee Lamb was unbelievable. Tony Pollard was unbelievable. Their defense played well for the first 47 minutes of the game. And then Aaron Rodgers turned it on, and Aaron Rodgers looked like Aaron Rodgers, and the Dallas Cowboys defense looked like kind of what we thought they'd look like coming into the year and not looked like the dominant unit we've seen all year. I don't know if that's just them being tired, um, but it's almost like the fourth quarter was a completely different, you know, portion of this game. Like it was like completely disconnected from the rest of the game. Um, and Dallas, suddenly, Dallas, suddenly like, they've given up 29 and 31 points in their last two games. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And people weren't, I don't think it got talked about with Chicago because they were in control of that game for so long that it kind of went under the radar that the defense maybe didn't play up to their standards. But now after two straight weeks, you, you can definitely kind of point to that. Yeah. So interesting to track there for Dallas. Uh, fortunately for them, the Eagles also dropped their game, so they didn't lose ground in the division. I guess they did technically to the Giants, but not to the division lead. So, uh, it's one they'd like to have back. Um, you wonder if Green Bay is going to turn this thing around. It's too little too late for the division, but you wonder if that if Christian Watson can get going, if Aaron Rodgers starts to trust him, if they could make a push for a wild card spot. So I, I feel like we're still at a place in the NFC where I know the Eagles are good. I don't know. Is anybody else in the NFC good? Like I just don't know what how to, how to stack these teams in the NFC up. I will just say the Packers have a really tough schedule coming up here. Titans at home, Eagles on the road, Bears on the road, Rams at home, that's not bad. Dolphins on the road, Vikings on the road, Lions at home. Like Having the, the Titans, the Eagles, the Dolphins, and the Vikings still remaining on the schedule is pretty brutal. Yeah. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. We'll see what unfolds there. Uh, let's go to another game, Arizona. Oh, you got something else there? Here's another. We're going to another game that I watched 0.00% of. Yeah, Arizona at Los Angeles Rams. Arizona wins 27-17. I can't believe you didn't watch this game. It had the matchup that I was waiting for all week as Colt McCoy was under center against John Wolford. So that's what – I mean, when we previewed – when we circled this game on the calendar – before the year started, that's what we wanted to see. Uh, obviously, hamstring injury for Kyler, concussion protocol for Matt Stafford. Uh, Colt McCoy obviously outplays Wolford. And he goes, actually, pretty good game for Colt McCoy. 8 of 11 for 123 yards and one touchdown on passes of 10-plus air yards. Biggest thing in this game is Cooper Cup left in the fourth quarter with an injury to his ankle. Came out later that he is having surgery. He's going on IR. Uh, so the Rams are done. They're two games out of the wild card right now. They lost the only playmaker they have on offense. Rams are done. They, they will not make the playoffs. And uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what you do from here. It's a house of cards. You feel like Sean McVay almost retired last off season. Aaron Donald almost retired last last off season. Matthew Stafford has the elbow things going on. Like it could get ugly for the Rams really quick. Which just makes me think of how stupid the Carolina Panthers were to turn down two first-round picks and a second-round pick from the Rams for Brian Burns. Like, 
those would have been such good picks because the Rams are headed for a total collapse. It might not happen. Like, they might be fine in 2023. They will be in total disarray by 2024 and 2025 when those picks were to come due. Uh, that was a huge missed opportunity for the Panthers to take that deal. Yeah, I get both sides there. I do think Brian Burns is a stud. Um, but the upside there from the Rams, yeah, it's it, it's probably too high to pass up. All right, well, let's move on uh, to the last game, the uh, Sunday night football game. It was the Chargers at the 49ers. The 49ers win 22-16. to 16. The 49ers, off, or excuse me, the 49ers defense is as good as advertised. Up a score with two minutes left. They get a turnover on downs. Uh, then on a last chance, because their offense goes three and out, they hit Herbert's arm and they get a pick. Uh, the 49ers offense is bad. It's very bad. Their defense is unbelievably talented. And you have to think with the weapons they have on offense, with Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle and Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey, like eventually they're going to scrape together just a, the, the if they have the 20 – first best offense this is a potential super bowl caliber team with this defense yeah the offense is not playing well there i'm not going to go as far to call it bad because last week it looked fantastic the week before that even it looked pretty good and uh i think a couple weeks before that it looked good like it's just week to week you don't know what jimmy g you're gonna get and that's really what it comes down to in this game you got you know boring below average Jimmy G and when you get that you're going to score about 20 to 23 points and it's going to come down to how your defense plays and you're right this defense is a top five defense and this defense is probably going to win most of those games as long as Jimmy G doesn't totally implode but it almost feels like um, Kyle Shanahan right now is that kid on December 26th um, at, at the day after Christmas and he got so many toys and he's just like oh like I want to play with Christian McCaffrey. And it's like, wait, I, I have Debo Samuel. Like, let me go do that. Like, it almost feels like he's a little bit like all over the place with the way he was calling plays in this game, where it's like he would lock in on Debo for a drive, and then he'd lock in on McCaffrey for a drive, and then he'd lock in on Ayuk for a drive. And then he'd be like, oh, let's make this an Elijah Mitchell drive. Like, it almost felt like he like couldn't work into a flow of including all of them and incorporating all of them at the same times. And, kind of going back and forth i don't know how to explain that any better but it was very weird kind of like how he he was peppering certain guys at at certain times yeah Uh, on the chargers side the chart the chargers chose to waive jerry tillery who was a defensive tackle he was a former first round pick he'd played 35 percent of the snaps for them this season and they waived him and they waived him a week after they lost Austin Johnson for the season. And then in this game, they lost two more defensive linemen, and they were so thin on the defensive line. Elijah Mitchell returned for the first time since week one. He had a team-high 18 carries for 89 yards for San Francisco. Uh, the Chargers just – I don't get it. I don't get the Chargers. I, I think they need to clean house this offseason. Uh, but just some of their personnel decisions, it just doesn't make sense to me. This is just such a – I know they've been banged up by injuries, but it's such an underachieving team. That aside, there's just they don't inspire any confidence whatsoever. Also, this is a game that Mike Williams and Keenan Allen didn't play, and you're winning. They were winning for a lot of the game. The Chargers, 
How does Austin Eckler get six carries? What are we doing? Yeah. What are like? What are we doing? Austin, I, he got seven catches, so I get it. He got thirteen touches, seven catches for thirty-nine yards. So they were clearly just using those as rushes, I guess. Six carries, like that's ridiculous. Yeah. So the Chargers hopes. I mean, the Chargers could still make the playoffs. They're they still right there. Will. What are they? Six and four now, I think. Five I forgot four, to jump that down. Six and five. Wait, five they can't be six. Okay. Okay, I was going to say they can't be six and five. It's just week 10. Um, five and four. So they could still make the playoffs, but I'm, I have no confidence in Joe Lombardi. I'm losing all confidence in Brandon Staley. Uh, and I think, I think, how funny would it be if Shane Steichen is back in Los Angeles next year as the head coach for the Chargers? It's, it's not unlikely. Yeah. That's so. Anyways, we'll see what happens there. Uh, that's about going to wrap it up for all of our games. I'm going to lead off with my – oh, you got something else? Just because I, it, it popped in my brain and I heard about this last week, there is some Sean Payton to L.A. buzz there. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Um, Peyton has seemed to indicate that he does not want to go for a rebuilding team. Like, he wants to just step into a good situation. And the Chargers would fit that. Um, they, they've, got a, they've got a superstar quarterback. Uh, the Saints obviously have to be willing to work with you there. Um, I, I think Peyton either ends up with the Chargers or he ends up with the Cowboys. I could see the Cowboys – getting in the playoffs, losing in the divisional round again, and Jerry Jones firing Mike McCarthy and going to get Sean Payton. But it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, I, I think – so I'm going to lead off here my final thoughts. That's I, Shane Steichen's going to get a job this offseason. He's going to go somewhere. I, I like the idea of him going to the Chargers because that's where he came from to begin with. Uh, but we'll see on that. But if he goes – and my coaching carousel, it spins around, and Frank Reich becomes the Eagles' offensive coordinator again. And I would love that fit. I think he's good at what he does, like working with game planning and working with quarterbacks. And obviously, he's got some familiarity with Nick Sirianni. They work together. Although it would it'd be the weird little power struggle flip, right? You go from offensive coordinator under Frank Reich to head coach over Frank Reich. But I wouldn't be surprised if Frank Reich ends up in the Eagles building before the end of the season as a consultant and that he sort of gets that on-ramp to OC, assuming Shane Steichen goes somewhere else. So that was just something I was thinking about during the Eagles game on Monday night before it started to go south. Uh, But I I know you're always big into the coaching carousel. I'm already thinking that direction with some of the jobs that are going to be open. Uh, Just interested to see how all that plays out. Yeah, and Sirianni basically kind of hinted at that uh, when they asked him about Frank Reich potentially joining the staff. Um, Reich said that he doesn't believe that that's his last head coaching job. Um, I don't know if that means he'd be willing to take an OC job to get back to that. Um, but the way he read, it seems like he thinks he'll be you know, thrown right into the coaching carousel for head coach hire. Um, so that might preclude maybe, – maybe he goes and does that, and if he doesn't get it, then he comes here. Um, I, I can see that being the case. Um, I don't think Frank Reich is just going to get another head coaching job without being an OC again. That's just my read on the situation. Um, but that'll be an interesting thing to track. And I think if he does take an OC job, it'll probably be here. If I had to, if I had to guess that. Um, so yeah, that'll, yeah. 
And the Eagles would have the patience to wait because they have, if you're planning on him being your OC and you say, you know, see if you get a head coaching job you like, if not, come be our OC, they could sit on that if Steichen got poached because they have Brian Johnson that they could always promote to OC. And I don't think anybody would have problems with that unless, you know, unless he tries, they try to, somebody tries to poach him to be their OC, which could certainly happen. He's done a great job this year uh, as QB coach for the Eagles. So, all, all of the 3D chess that goes on with coaching carousel. We'll definitely cover that because we both love that stuff. But it's not quite time for it yet. Uh, it was just on my mind the other night. Yeah, I'll, we'll... Oh, you got muted there. Next week, let's do a, a little bit of a, a coaching carousel exercise where we say uh, if a guy is going to get fired or not, that, that could be a fun little, a fun little thing with a couple weeks ago. Um, my final thoughts will be on that. Then I hadn't prepared final thoughts. Um, but looks like we could get a couple one and dones. Um, obviously it doesn't look like that'll happen with McDaniels, but I think maybe they lose out or maybe if it gets really, really bad then they're going to have to make a decision. Um, doesn't seem like they will with the Mark Davis quotes, but feels like it has to be at least brought up for conversation and then you have Dennis Allen, and man, I don't know if they'd fire him. He's been there a while now. They clearly respect him, but oof, that is a that'd be a hard sell to a fan base to get excited for next year when you don't have a first round pick to replenish your team. You're probably not going to fix the quarterback situation, and you just say, "Hey guys, we're running it back with Dennis Allen." Like, man, uh, it, it was not a. It was not. It was a very up and down coaching cycle. It seems uh, Mike McDaniel, Brian Dable, feel like they were perfect hires and literally could not be better options um, for Miami and New York. And then you have McDaniel's and you have Dennis Allen. It looks like the opposite right now. Yeah, yeah. It'd be interesting to be see interesting how it plays out. I think. I think Denver is definitely. Oh, Hackett. firing Hackett! Oh Hackett's, my God! Yeah. Hackett's gone. I don't even know if he makes the rest of the season, but he's in that unique position where not only is he awful, but he was hired to poach Aaron Rodgers, which didn't happen. And then they mortgaged everything for Russell Wilson, and they're tied to Russell Wilson. They can't get rid of him, but they can scapegoat Hackett. And the ownership that they have now is not even the one that hired him. So he's a dead man walking. It just remains to be seen if he makes it through the rest of the season. I can't believe I just did a segment on first-year coaches and how bad they've been and how good they've been and didn't mention Hackett. That's that's a bad job by me. Um, but, yeah, it's Hackett's a complete moron. Hackett is absolutely getting fired. There's no way he doesn't get fired. So, yeah, I think at least one gets fired, and there's probably one of the other two does, probably Allen, if I had to guess. Um, so probably two coaches getting fired after one year, which is like that only happens like once every few years. Like Steve Wilkes was one I remember in Arizona. Um, I remember uh, Chudzinski in Cleveland was one years ago. There hasn't been all that many. It's not that common. Might be two right away. Could be three. Lovey Smith. Lovey did. They, Lovey. They oh no, not Lovey. Coley, Coley did last year. David Coley did in Houston. Um, could be yeah. Lovey. I don't know if a team has ever fired a one-year coach back-to-back years. Because I mean, the Texans looked better last year with Coley, and they fired him, which oh, surprised yeah. both of us. Uh, Lovey Smith is—I mean, not that he walked into a good situation, but he's performed worse than Coley did last year. So. Could be. We'll see. Mills has regressed horribly, 
horribly. Davis Mills was someone I was excited to watch last year. Like, he at least made some fun throws down the field. This that that game he played against New York, he should have been benched. He was I mean, we, bad. We seriously had discussions on podcasts last year of like, I mean, could they have found their franchise guy? It and felt like there's it. no doubt now that they did not. Nah, he's they, they were even they had to ask uh, Lovey. Actually, I, I saw this because in my one league, I desperately needed a quarterback this week, this coming week because of a bye. Um, and I was looking at Davis Mills, and they had to ask Lovey if they were going to bench him the, after the after the game. They asked him if he thought to make a change going forward, and he said he'll be the quarterback the rest of the year. I don't even know who their backup is, but if you're having to ask questions on if you're going to bench him, then, man, it, it must have been even worse than what I was seeing just from what I saw. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, all right, well – I think we have meandered enough through week 10 of the NFL. Uh, Thank you to everyone listening. Uh, If you're still with us, if you joined us for episode number 80 of Chalk Talk, uh, if you enjoy what you heard on the show, and we know that you guys do, be sure you smash that subscribe button. Turn on notifications so you don't miss the next episode. Uh, Drop us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. We really appreciate those. Uh, They really help us out. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at half and half underscore TPL. I'm on YouTube at Shane Half NFL. Uh, give Mark a follow on Twitter at Mark Henry Jr. underscore. So for me, for Mark, from the Painted Lines, we will see you guys next week.